to the Radio Life Sciences Podcast for a behind-the-scenes look into GSLS, made by students and educators for the scientists of tomorrow. So welcome to another episode of Radio Life Sciences. And this time we have a guest, Helene von Leur, one of our students of the Graduate School of Master Students of the Graduate School of Life Sciences who wrote an article on the UU website uh, entitled Why the Major Research Project Should Be Graded Pass or Fail. Um, so, my name is Harald Verreye. I'm going to be your host today, um, together with Eveline Kallenberg. Eveline. Hello, hello. You may know Eveline, she uh, um, is also part of the Graduate School of Life Sciences. Well, maybe you can shortly introduce yourself. Uh. Yeah, sure. Well, so I've been a student, research master student for two years. Uh, I graduated from Research Master Neuroscience and Cognition in, it was last year, so then it was 2021. And then in October 2021, I became a teacher here and an educational developer, so I guess that's enough for now. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Thanks, Evelyn. Also at the table, we have Renske de Klein. Um, Renske is an educational scientist, also working at the Graduate School of Life Sciences, but... She's also the program coordinator of, of our youngest PC program, uh, Life Science Education Research. Renske, tell us about it. Yeah. So in the Graduate School of Life Sciences, there's quite some PhD researchers who study education in their specific field. And in our PhD program, we bring together these PhD students in one program. And there we do um, some interesting courses, but also nice community building and exchange. And how large is this group of students? We uh, recently welcomed our 30th member. <gasps> so it's quite a large PC program. It's growing faster than expected. <laughs> well, that's good news, I, uh, yeah. I assume. And of course, we have Helene, Helene van Leur. Um, if I'm well informed, you're uh, uh, a student in the master program, Bayern Inspired Innovation. That's correct. And when did you start? I started in September of 2020, so... Uh, in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Oh, so, yeah. how was that? <laughs> uh, it was an interesting start, especially because I took a gap year and I had some things planned in that gap year that didn't happen. And then to start the studies online is very weird, but it was also nice because in this master's, I met a lot of really nice people. And actually because of the COVID pandemic, I think we got a lot closer and got to know each other a lot better than we would have without it. So, well, that's really good to hear actually. Um, so um, you're in your second year now, yep. uh, in the final year. What did you? What kind of a research project did you do in the first year? Uh, my research project was about removing micropollutants from wastewater. Uh, this is quite a large problem. These micropollutants can uh, consist of pharmaceutical compounds, rest compounds, pesticides, but also PFAS, which we might know from the building uh, problems in the building industry. And uh, these compounds are very persistent. They're very hard to break down and degrade. And I looked at this uh, by fungi and especially mycelium to see whether uh, this mycelium could break down or at least filter these micropollutants from wastewater. What is a mycelium? Mycelium is the roots from uh, fungi, from oh, okay. uh, yeah, the common bottom mushroom uh, okay. or other mushrooms. So quite some standing in the lab there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and interestingly, we had some issues scheduling the recording of this podcast because you're going abroad. That's true. Uh, in uh, a week or so, I'm going to New Zealand for uh, my minor research internship, uh, where I will be doing something completely different, uh, namely looking at integrating ecosystem services into the built environment, 
ecosystem services are the services that ecosystems generate. Uh, and ecosystems always create more than what's necessary. And buildings right now merely take away from the environment. So clean water goes in uh, and, well, uh, contaminated water goes out. A lot of clean energy goes in. And not only looking at how we can reduce those emissions, but also what these houses can add to their environment and how they can have a positive interaction with the environment. Wow. Impressive. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really impressive. Okay, well, uh, the reason that we are here is because you wrote uh, an article, as already uh, explained in the introduction, why the major research project should be graded pass or fail. So I'm not, I'm, well, we've read it, but uh, our listeners, presumably, or well, at least not all, um, have not yet. So maybe you can give a short recap of what, your, what the, uh, the story is about. So it's a short opinion article uh, where... As you just mentioned, I argue that the major research project should be graded pass-fail instead of numerically. And I've written this, written this uh, for the course Communicating Life Sciences, which is a course in which you learn to write short, popular articles about complicated science, or in this case, opinion articles. Um, and in the article, I detail a few arguments saying that I think the pass-fail would not only be better for students' mental health, would also increase the value of the major research project because it would enable students to experiment more um, and really develop themselves better uh, without having to worry about how that will affect their final grades. And one of the arguments that you um, um, brought up was that uh, the current grading system puts lots of pressure on the students, also mental pressure. Is this something that you hear from other students or, have, or maybe have experienced yourself? I think both. Uh, of course, students all talk with each other um, and you want to do well. You have a master's, it's something you're very interesting, uh, interested in, something you want to go further in. And this is something that is a very big part of your master's degree and also of the grading of your master's degree. So there's definitely a lot of pressure there. Uh, and often I heard people uh, saying things like, oh yeah, I want to try this or I'm not getting along too well with my supervisor. Uh, and I'm afraid that that will affect my grading and that was what was stressing them out and not so much the research and all the things that you were doing in the lab. And it's also something that I experienced myself in a way that in the beginning you read the rubrics and I think it's very good you read the rubrics, but it's all these qualities that you're supposed to have at the end of a nine-month period. And reading those in the beginning can feel very overwhelming, like, oh, this is all the criteria that I have to adhere to. And for me, that, uh, yeah, that cost, I think, a bit of unnecessary pressure that in the end also affected, I think, my uh, project negatively a bit. <laughs> Is it also the pressure that you feel like you have to come up with good results? For me, it wasn't. Um, but it's definitely something that I have heard from other students, that they their first few experiments fail, uh, which is very normal, I think, in a science setting. And then they're afraid that because they haven't gotten any good results, that that will indeed... Uh, yeah, have a negative effect. Hmm. The um, the counter argument, um, and you mentioned this uh, this morning, Renske, that uh, grades are the the student's currency. So, uh, high grades, low grades, um, it's something that you can show on your grade list or your um, at the end. Um, so, what are your thoughts about that? So that you can't make a distinction 
between students, or is this part of the of your argument that you <laughs> should get rid of that? <laughs> I did address it. Um, I think from a mental health perspective, there's a lot of research that getting rid of this uh, improves students' mental health. But on the other hand, of course, you do want to be able to uh, distinguish yourself, especially if you want to go abroad for a PhD. But I do think that the master curriculum offers a lot of opportunities to distinguish yourself already numerically if you would only make this pass fill, but also by good recommendation letters or extracurricular activities. I think there's a lot of other ways to distinguish yourselves uh, rather than just numerical grading. For example, with what? Uh, like I just mentioned, like doing extracurricular activities, participating in communities, board memberships, um, maybe getting your paper published afterwards. I think that's always a good referral, which even grading-wise isn't always reflected. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I was just thinking, um, isn't this just another currency that we then introduce, perhaps? Yeah, definitely. Um, it is a different currency, but I feel like it's a lot free, a more freer currency. So I think a grade system is very rigid. There's only one thing, and you're very dependent on your supervisor as well as to what their values are. And I think distinguish yourselves in other ways also allows more room for personality and personal, uh, yeah, your personal per development maybe. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that you mentioned it, the rubric, which is quite overwhelming, <laughs> but it does contain many of the, let's say, the dimensions that we hope students will develop themselves. Is this something that could fill in a certain gap there? Do you mean that you will have a, a rubric? Well, at the end of your internship, that uh, the rubric is re-evaluated on the different um, uh, skills that, uh, that are in there and that they more or less profile, uh, form a profile of you at the end of your internship. Uh, yeah, I think that could definitely be very interesting. It's not something that I've considered before. Um, I do feel that it's still very difficult. I might think I think it might also be very demanding for the supervisors to draw up a profile of each student. Uh, but I do feel it's way more personalized and in that sense allows... Yeah, I think especially the grading system, it's very rigid. And you never really know what influences it. And a rubric in that sense is already much broader and really allows you to uh, showcase your different skills. And also if there is one minus point, but you can see a lot of pluses that gives a lot more, a much better view of a person, I think. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about what you wrote is that in, um, in Amsterdam, they actually decided in the um, medicine department to no longer use the cum laude for instance, because they thought that was also contributing way too much to pressure that students experience to excel and that they were too much focused in their internships on um, performing rather than learning. And um, I think your piece is quite in line, you know, with their reasons. And I, and I think the, the pushback there was also how about the international competitiveness of your uh, graduates there? Um, and it made me wonder, what if we value other parts than performing? What if we would value learning, failing, and then learning a bit more rather than the performing part? Do you think it could also be helpful to focus our numeric system with all its flaws mm -hmm. on maybe other or also on other elements rather than performing in the things that are in the rubric now? 
Uh, yeah, I think that could definitely help. Another thing, if you do want to stay with the numeric grading, I think would be giving multiple grades because now you get one grade over a nine-month period, and I also think that doesn't uh, reflect your growth. I think if you stay with the one grade, in the end, it will always be very one-dimensional, but if you could split it into three or maybe monthly, well, maybe monthly is a bit much, but every three months a grade, that can also really reflect your growth and will also give you a sort of feedback of how you are doing on that skill. Yeah. It's so interesting for us to hear the student perspective. We're talking about this a lot within our groups. And uh, so we're firing all these questions to you because we just value your perspective so much, even though we obviously know you, you, you don't have all the answers and this, you know, the solution that will fit everything. But it's something that we discuss also a lot. And it, it so much has to do with the balance between valuing the students and giving them, them something to show towards their um, potential uh, employers, for instance, but also making sure that they are mentally okay, that we don't put too much pressure on them. And I think that's so much the balance that we're looking for in our um, department. I see a lot of nodding faces uh, <laughs> here. Maybe, Evelyn, as a recent like graduate, can yeah. you explain a bit about how you experienced it? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of competitive nature in whatever kind of education that you are experiencing. And I think um, there should be some form of differentiation between students, among students, of having kind of the accomplishment of, hey, I, I obtained the, an aid for, a, for an exam or for a particular project. So that indeed for future employers, you can like see uh, or you can show them like, hey, I got this particular skill and I am good at it. But I also experienced myself that it sometimes costs a lot of mental health there and that that's just something um, um, I don't really know the English translation here, <laughs> <laughs> but that, uh, that the high pressure is in the end just very demanding for your mental health and I think that in the end that still um, is not worth it in the end and that we also have kind of a responsibility there as a university to pay attention to it and um, kind of do something to maybe not prevent it but you know that we take it serious so I just this whole interesting or this whole topic of this conversation I think it's just you will never do it right I think because some students will definitely be um, involved in obtaining high grades and that's their perspective of how things should be uh, in life and that that will only be the way for them to um, go to the em to the employer and say like hey see this is my grade list now you can employ me because I am a good student because I obtained good grades uh, but uh, yeah so there are just so many sides and I just I think it's a very difficult way on how to how can we combine the two worlds basically because they are very separate I think and make it work. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's very difficult. I have a, uh, another question for Helene because whatever system you use, it will induce behavior mm -hmm. uh, in students. So s suppose we go to a pass fail system. Uh, what kind of behavior do you think it will induce with uh, um, with the students? Well, they may they might might have less feel less pressure to perform, but what, um, what will yeah. happen? Uh, well, there's a couple of reasons, of course, for both uh, systems. 
So a uh, numerical grading system could also give a lot of external motivation, which I think is one of the arguments besides distinguishing uh, this, well, the, not, uh, one of the arguments for using a numerical system. However, I do feel that once you're in a master's degree, especially, you're already, I think, intrinsically motivated, at least when I speak to my uh, colleague students, uh, and when I look at myself, I am very intrinsically motivated to do well because this is what you chose to study as a start of the rest of your life. So if you're not intrinsically motivated for this, does it, it, do you really want that external motivation by grades? Uh, for me, that's, yeah, a question. But. Yesterday, I discussed the, the topic with my wife, who is a, a supervisor of... Um, medical specialists in training, and they have uh, something which is comparable to the system that you uh, propose, like a pass-fail system. Actually, they, they describe three levels, so expected level, above the expected level, and below the expected level. And this is something that is more followed in time rather than a summative final verdict. It's something that you can grow into, that they will coach you into, so this is, I think, what we would call like more programmatic assessment. So yep. we're guiding you towards a final level. And uh, um, so it's more based on coaching than on grading and more on development than on performing. Um, so is this something that you could envision, envision uh, Renske? Yes, and I think it resonates a bit with a very small word that you used in your introduction, um, Helene, when you said like, there are so many things that affect the grade that you get that it made me think it feels as if you are not in control there. And you also mentioned the dependency of the supervisor and the fact that it's just this one grade. And I think that as a, as a school with the interim assessment for, assessment, for instance, we already aim to have that conversation a bit earlier with your supervisor, or at least the supervisor with the students, so that students know what is expected of them, whether they are on the right track, whether they're performing like on the expected level, below or above. Um, would you feel that more of those kind of conversations or check-ins would be helpful and make, you, make students feel less dependent on maybe the daily grills of their supervisor? Yes, I think that could definitely help. I also think another uh, pilot that's currently going on, the bi-directional assessment tool, um, <laughs> would also be very helpful. Uh, I know it's been around for a while and it's only just getting really pushed. Uh, and I think in my situation that would really have helped because communication had at times was problematic uh, from both sides. Um, and that's also why I did also write the article, The Past Fill, because I feel like... The supervisor, you just mentioned that the vision might change from students on the project, but also the vision from the supervisor of the students. So instead of, oh, like, I have to grade this person, like, you start to look at a person a certain way. Whereas if you only pass or fill them, I think you start to look at them more as an individual and how can we get most of your learning experience. Not to say that supervisors do not do this already, but I feel like these things do influence us one way or another. Yeah. <laughs> We, there were three happy faces here when you mentioned the <laughs> bi-directional assessment, obviously, because that is, that's also a development here internally, right? That we really want to, I don't know, empower the students a bit more. Maybe, maybe it's good for the listener that may not have um, 
gotten into the bidirectional assessment yet, what it's about. Yeah, well, it is a student-initiated project, to say first of all. So the life science representatives came up with the idea of making a conversation guideline for how students can prepare for and um, engage in the interim assessment with their supervisor to get meaningful information out of that in terms of how am I going, what are the things that I need to improve. So that's what we've been developing together with a few of these students. And we decided it's you cannot start that conversation in the interim assessment. You have to start it at the start of your internship when it's about goals and manage, managing expectations. So in the end, they made three conversation forms together. We did that actually. So they're now available online in the uh, on our student website. Um, and it's intended for students to um, have a bit more idea of how to structure their conversation with their supervisors. We're enthusiastic about it, and I have to say that I do feel that as, an, as a department, we are also um, obliged to our students to think about how we can um, include supervisors a bit more in it. So now the burden is on the student, so you can use this conversation tool to have the conversation with your supervisor and we have some work to do to also discuss this with the supervisors obviously but it's all intended towards the same goal actually that I hear you say that we don't want this assessment at the end to come as a surprise and we want students to have enough opportunities to learn and progress make faults learn from them yeah anything to add uh, Harold no do you want to add um, well, not that I know or invented the tool, but one thing I do that I haven't heard you mention that, that I think it brings is also the opportunity to give a bit of feedback on the supervision style. And I think that's very helpful also for both parties uh, to prevent miscommunications or other, yeah, I think it's very, there might be very easy ways that you can adjust to each other and create a better experience for both parties. Oh, it's perfect. I had a chameleon on the cover of my PhD dissertation because of this, because of this adaptation process. And without making clear if it's about your supervisor or stories you've been hearing from other peers, do you feel like supervisors are open to this? Are they open to hear from students how they experience the supervision, what, what they might want differently, more or less of? I think in general, most people are always open to improving experiences. Like no one wants to give anyone a bad time and everyone's here to learn and to improve themselves, both students and supervisors. Uh, but I feel that without the bi-directional assessment tool, it wasn't really considered that much. And um, I feel like receiving feedback is always difficult, especially if it comes out of nowhere. So giving such a form might make people more open to receiving that feedback and being able to process that. Brilliant. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, any last famous words on the topic? Otherwise, we'll do a quick round around the table, just as a take-home message. Yeah, I, I think I have a question for you, Helene. So what do you think is the, uh, the worst thing on the numeric assessment? And then the same question for the pass fail, and then the other way around, like what's the best thing about it? So you have kind of a, like a um, comparison between the two, for the listeners at least. 
I think uh, to start with the numerical system we're having now, the best thing is the thing we mentioned that is the thing we're most uh, re resistant to, let, reluctant to let go, uh, is the, dis the being able to distinguish yourself uh, towards yourself, towards your peers, and towards other universities and future job opportunities. Mm -hmm. But it comes with, in my opinion, major drawbacks of it being very one-dimensional and it inducing, and I think that's the worst, a lot of mental health pressure. Uh, which you've also mentioned before. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, yeah, the two drawbacks. And uh, then for the pass-fill system, I think it's a bit the same, but the opposite. Um, you cannot really distinguish yourself, at least not in that one grade, but I think it will grant you a lot of better uh, opportunities to improve yourself and improve mental health. But also because your mental health is better, you will eventually do better, yep. I think, and learn more. Okay, interesting. So, and I'm going to ask the final question to Helene. <laughs> sure. What's your advice for the graduate school? Where should we go? I think my advice remains similar to what I said in the article. I think the, uh, I think the practical work should probably be pass-fill. And you could still, for example, keep the presentation and the report graded because that's much... Yeah, it's a different style. Uh, or if that's a big of a, too big of a step now, I would advise creating multiple grades over this nine-month period instead of just one. So we've been talking about a major research project now, but we also have our profiles in the second year, which are, I would say, at least the general research profile is uh, the same design. Mm -hmm. Should we convert um, that for our profiles as well? Well, I haven't experienced those yet, so it's difficult to say something about that, but I think definitely, yeah, although it is a bit a little bit smaller project. So I feel like some of the very big issues there will also be a bit le a bit smaller because it's not over such a long time period. Um, so the feedback is a bit more direct, I think. And the good news is that students that go abroad usually get really high grades. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good for you, Helene. <laughs> Let's keep it for another seven months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Renske, what's your take-home message here? I can only uh, echo what you've been saying about being open to feedback as seniors, as supervisors, is such an important thing to do and to role model to our students. And I hope that the listeners see this podcast as us showing this role model behavior in terms of inviting you and having this interesting conversation with you after you gave us some feedback about the, the uh, programs to think about. So thanks for that. Yeah, now you're looking at me, Harold. So now I have to say, okay. <laughs> yes, um, Yeah, so I think it's just very valuable that you are here with us today, Helene, and that you talk about this. And maybe within our um, groups, as you mentioned, Renske, that we are talking about the pass-fill system, I think that maybe we should involve more students to talk about this topic and to think along with where we are heading and how we are going to maybe implement it or you know, the steps that we should take. So I think that's just a note for me and us that we should um, invite more students to, to join the table and um, yeah, talk with us about it to implement it, create it, develop yeah, it. No, I'm, um, you echo, just to echo you again, also see how supervisors feel about this because maybe yeah, exactly, yeah. they aren't also too happy about the grading system either. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm... I'm what I really would like to explore in the upcoming time is how we can keep um, um, the good parts here. So how can we value the development um, 
that students have made during their internship without putting um, looking at a one-dimensional grade here. So, um, and then still, who's to value that? Is this still this one supervisor? Or maybe you can ask also your fellow students in the lab or other supervisors to give you feedback on it. So this is something that, well, we're working on this as we speak, of course, because Renske is in charge of the development of Life Science Academy. And this is something that is of great interest um, to us. Yeah. So hopefully other students listening now see this as an invitation to share their thoughts with us. We take them seriously. We appreciate it. And we're making uh, the best of it. Yeah. So, Helene, thanks for well, bringing up this topic. Uh, thanks for joining in your while well, you're packing your, <laughs> your bags mm -hmm. to, uh, to go abroad. Um, all the luck in New Zealand. It's... Uh, must be a great experience. We all are a little jealous, I guess. And uh, well, I uh, hope to hear from you, of course, uh, how things went over there. Yeah, and I would also really like to thank you all for listening and engaging in this discussion. I was quite surprised when I received your email whether I wanted to tell some more about the article. And I think it's really, really great that you are engaging in these uh, conversations and hearing you talk about it. I have a lot of faith that uh, good things are happening. Well, thanks. And also, thank to our listeners. Um, thanks for um, uh, being with us again. And I hope to hear or see you back in one of our other episodes. See ya. Radio Life Sciences. Radio. Welcome to the Radio Life Sciences podcast for a behind the scenes look into GSLS, made by students and educators for the scientists of tomorrow. <laughs>